came out with sets of numbers and I plotted them on pieces of paper. Radio waves, radio waves. She sees radio waves, radio waves. Astrophys brings the news, arrays and dishes get different views. Are you confused? Radio waves, radio waves, radio waves, she sees radio waves, she sees radio waves. Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. I'm Brendan O'Brien and today is Friday the 16th of October 2020. Each month, we bring you two fabulous episodes. At the top of each month, we have an interview with a respected astronomer, astrophysicist, space scientist or particle physicist. Then, in the middle of the month, we bring you Dr. Ian Musgrave's Sky Guide for the next four weeks, where he previews celestial observations for naked eye observers, telescopers and astrophotographers. We also include a community service announcement asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively, and isolate as much as possible as we work our way through this COVID-19 crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. So right now, We'll hear from Ian Astroblog Musgrave over in Adelaide, followed by his astronomical tangent. Hello, Ian. Hello, Brendan. Great to be speaking with you again, Ian. Ian, can you tell us what's up in the sky for the next four weeks? So good thing you asked that, Brendan. It's going to be a very interesting four weeks. So uh, once again, I'll remind you that this sky guide is going to run from October the 16th to November the 16th. Uh, when it's going out, it will go out just after the opposition of Mars, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot to see with the red planet and the other planets. So let's, let's start with what's happening with the moon. Um, the new moon is October the 17th. The last quarter moon is October 23rd. So those will be very good times to look at the stars. Full moon is October the 31st and November 1st. Now, this, is, this is really interesting because of time zones. For Western Australia, October the 31st is a blue moon. That is, it's the second full moon of October. However, because of time zones, the full moon doesn't occur in the uh, central and eastern states until November uh, the 1st. We still get a blue moon, but this is the last blue moon of November. However, uh, we still get a mini moon. So the apogee is actually on October the 31st, but it's very late on October the 31st. So by the time the, for the, the best uh, apogee moon occurs for uh, the viewers in Western Australia, where you'll have an official full moon not very far from the closest, uh, for the, the closest approach of the moon to the Earth. And for us in the eastern states, the official full moon is on the 1st 
It's a, a couple of hours after the closest approach of the moon to the Earth, but it'll still be a very good uh, mini moon, and you'll still be able to, if you're taking photographs and comparing it with the perigee moon earlier this year, you'll be able to see a, a, a very different size of the moon. Of course, if you've got very good memory and very good visual acuity, you might be able to see it with your unaided eyes. But for people like me with both poor memories and not so crash hot uh, eyes, you'll need uh, some photographic evidence in the form of a, a telescopic or binocular image to allow you to compare the sizes of the moons. And then uh, last quarter on November the 6th, uh, uh, on November the 14th, the moon's at perigee and then where it's closest to the earth and then the new moon is on november the 16th so from from the november the 6th to the november the 16th is a very good time to be watching out for uh, out the the, uh, the stars in the sky so let's start on the evening sky now uh, if you've been watching the uh, the uh, early evening twilight you've been watching uh, mercury standing uh, lonely above the horizon uh, I suggested the last uh, broadcast you might try taking some images of Mercury to see if you could pick up the sodium tail of Mercury with ordinary uh, telescopes and cameras. It's sad to say, at the, for me, at the best time for viewing this, there was nothing but cloud, so I hope a few people out there have had a better chance than I have. Nonetheless, Mercury is still, at the start of our four-week period, still quite high in the sky but it's now rapidly sinking towards the horizon. Although on the uh, 18th, the crescent moon and Mercury are very close. Uh, you should be able to see that uh, between 45 minutes to 60 minutes after sunset. After this, however, Mercury is lost to view. In the later evening, our friends, the pair of Jupiter and Saturn, are still dominating the early evening sky. They're still quite bright. And if you watch carefully over the coming four weeks, you'll notice that Jupiter and Saturn are coming closer together. They started off a little bit over a handspan apart, and now you should see them coming closer, and they'll be under a handspan by the time the months is finished. And this is coming up towards a rather spectacular pairing in uh, December, when the two will be spectacularly close together. But you can watch them drift closer and closer over the next few months, and it'll be very interesting to watch anyway. Excellent. Jupiter, although well past opposition, and Saturn, also well past opposition, are still very good telescopic and binocular objects. I don't have to say yet again, it's always good to watch them with binoculars uh, or small telescopes. And if you've got a medium to small telescope, the bands on Jupiter are looking very nice. And there's some interesting red spots that have been, or new storms that have been coming up, which you've got a mid-range instrument, which will be interesting to follow. Saturn is always fantastic to observe, and you can watch Titan moves around Saturn, although the, you don't have the same sort of moon play that you do with the Galilean moons of Jupiter. It's still interesting to watch from night to night. Now, once again, the moon and Jupiter and Saturn uh, does some interesting planet dancing. On October the 22nd, you have Jupiter, Saturn, and the moon forming a line, or rather it's moon, Jupiter, Saturn. And then on the 23rd, it's Jupiter, Saturn, and the Moon. So very, very nice uh, lineup uh, occurring there. 
let's turn to Mars. Now, Mars is just past opposition, but it's still going to be large and very good to view in small to medium telescopes. At the moment, there's only a tiny white dot of South Polar cap to see, but it, uh, even in uh, modest uh, instruments, you'll be able to see it. Unlike the last opposition, which was even better than this one, we haven't had any major dust storms yet, so uh, people will be getting a very good view of the markings of Mars. If you've been um, hanging out on the internet recently, there was a, a uh, animation of some amateur images that had been taken of, of Mars and stitched together into a, uh, into a rotation of Mars. It was very beautiful. So plenty of time still to look at Mars, plenty of time to still uh, watch what's going on there. So very worthwhile, but even if you, you're not observing Mars, telescopes uh, in binoculars, it's really bright. And even with the unaided eye, bright red Mars above the horizon is really quite interesting to see. Great. So that's Mars. And again, I'll emphasise that Mars will be very nice to watch. And it's easy to find because it's the only really bright red object nothing nearby. So that's basically what's happening in the evening sky. And what about the morning skies then? Well let's let's turn to the morning skies now. I'm glad you asked. Only two bright planets are still visible in the morning sky, with Mars very low in the west and Venus low to the east. Now Venus is currently in Leo uh, and it's heading towards Virgo. And although Venus is, is lowering in the sky, it's becoming harder to see, but it's still going to be quite good for the next four weeks. And on November the 13th, Venus and the Crescent Moon are very close. They're about a hand span from each other. And it's best seen between 45 minutes before sunrise to 60 minutes after sunrise. You will need a fairly clear and, and unobscured horizon to see it at its best at the moment as it is again beginning to fall back towards the horizon. Aside from the planets, the other thing that's happening in the morning sky is the Orionids. Now the Orionids is a, a fairly regular meteor shower and it occurs on the mornings of the 22nd to the 24th in Australia. The best breaks occurring on the 23rd. The Radiant to the Orionids occurs just below the arm of Orion and not too far below Betelgeuse. So although Orion is beginning to rise early uh, in, the, in the late evening, the radiant doesn't really get high enough to uh, observe a decent number of meteors until around about four to five o'clock in the morning. Uh, again, depending on whether you have daylight saving time or how far north you are. The people with the best view will be in northern Australia, places like Darwin, Cairns and so on. The people with the worst view will be in Hobart, but in between. It, it's, uh, although it's a, a fairly reliable meteor shower, there's generally not terribly many meteors, although this year there may be an outburst, but you can expect to see somewhere between 18 to 20 meteors per hour. Now that sounds like a lot, but it actually turns out to be something like a meteor every three to four minutes. And if you're out in the cold of a very early morning, you may find 
a meteor every three to four minutes is getting uh, a bit on your nerves. On the other hand, it will be quite beautiful. And there is the possibility there might be an outburst this year. So there's entirely possible we might see a flurry of more meteors than expected. So it's well worth going out and having a look, uh, especially since the skies will be quite dark. The moon sets before the uh, radiant of the meteor shower rises. Again, with all meteor showers, to just walk out, look around a bit and say, oh, I don't see any meteors and go back in. Of course, you're not going to see meteors. You need to, uh, to, to, to get out, get yourself a nice comfy chair, an ordinary chair or a lawn chair. You'll be looking to the northeast from the southern hemisphere and south from the northern hemisphere. And so you get yourself a nice comfy chair or a, a banana lounge or something like that. It's still going to be cool in the morning, so make sure you're rugged up and you don't get too cold. And then just sit, and make sure you've got a broad swathe of sky because the meteor burns, even though the radiant is going to is directly under the arm of Orion. The meteors don't start their burn there. They start burning about a hand span generally away from the central point. So you need a spot where you can let your eyes roam around and have a good view of a large chunk of the sky because you may see meteors that start their burn well over to one side, uh, well over to the, well above you. So it's a good idea to, to make, let your eye roam around, try not to stare at one spot too much. Let, you know, just flick your eyes about so that you uh, can catch the meteors. And again, you have to wait at least five minutes after you get outside because your eyes have to adapt. The more your eyes are adapted to the darkness, the more meteors you'll see. It's very easy to see really bright meteors, but it's a lot harder to see the dimmer meteors. So the, the better your light, your eyes are adapted to the light, the more meteors you'll see. And the sky will be beautiful. You'll have Orion, the hunter, dominating the sky in front of you. Uh, you'll also have Taurus the Bull and the Seven Sisters. Mars will be sitting over in the west and you'll also have potentially as, as, uh, as dawn begins to approach, you'll have Venus cre uh, creeping up over the horizon. So it'll be very beautiful if you've got clear skies. Uh, and a good, uh, you know, even though we won't be seeing meteors all that often, um, you, you'll see, a, should be seeing a decent number. Um, and again, I, I haven't emphasised this before, uh, even though we're saying there's a meteor every every three to four minutes, that doesn't mean it's turning up like clockwork. Like every three minutes is a meteor. Usually what happens, they come in flurries, so you may see a whole bunch of meteors coming together in a long period of nothing. And just as you're about to say, oh, nothing's happening, I'm going in again, you see another flurry of meteors. So be patient, make sure your eyes are adapted, make sure you're warm, and make sure you're comfortable. There's nothing worse than sort of standing in one spot, having your legs go to sleep uh, while looking for meteors. But if you take that advice, then you'll be able to see the uh, have a, see some decent meteors and have a good time while doing so. Fantastic, Ian. Always good to under-promise and over-deliver rather than the other way around. Indeed, indeed. Now, Ian... Do you have a tangent for us for this month? I do indeed have a tangent for you. It's based around Mars, of course. Mars is, of course, in opposition. Although opposition was on the uh, October the 14th, but uh, opposition uh, is when the Earth, uh, Mars and the Sun directly line up. 
but because of the geometries of Earth's elliptical orbit and Mars's elliptical orbit, Mars was actually closest to Earth on the 7th, not the 14th. But can you guess what else happened on the 7th? No. No? Okay. Now, you may remember uh, Elon Musk launched uh, as the dummy payload to one of the uh, Falcon X uh, heavy lift rocket, uh, his uh, red Telsa Roadster, with a dummy called the Starman uh, strapped into it. Uh, now, the Starman is on, a uh, again, an elliptical orbit ranging between the orbit of Earth and the orbit of Mars. And on the 7th of October, as Earth and Mars were at its closest, uh, the Starman of Mars was at its closest. Mars, Starman, of course, was much closer. It was about 0.5 astronomical units, about 5 million miles. Uh, now, I'll remind you that the Roadster was launched in 2018, and so it's taken about uh, two years or so for uh, the Starman to finally reach Mars, and it will continue on orbiting the Sun, occasionally coming close to Earth and occasionally coming close to Mars for quite some time. In fact, it'll probably uh, run into Earth sometime in the next billion years or so. But the chance of a Earth impact in the next million years is around about 6%. So don't get overexcited about that. If you're interested in following the journey of the Roadster, you can find it on whereisroadster.com. Uh, I've been trying to find out where the next close approach of the Roadster to Earth is. So it's entirely possible that someone with a halfway decent uh, amateur scope would be able to pick up uh, the Roadster as a faint a magnitude 18 to 19 object as it came close, but I've been unable to, uh, to discover that yet. I'll let you know how it goes. That's uh, the close approach of the Roadster to Mars. Um, another thing that you may be interested in about Mars, uh, Mars has solar eclipses like Earth. Now, I don't know if any one of you out there has experienced a solar eclipse, either a total solar eclipse or a very, very deep uh, partial solar eclipse. But you'll notice as the, as the uh, uh, moon totally covers Earth, or, or even mostly covers, <laughs> doesn't cover Earth, the moon almost totally covers the sun, or almost, uh, or indeed totally covers the sun, it gets quite cold. It's a very eerie feeling. Everything goes goes cool. The sky goes dark. Stars coming out. The birds get uh, get confused and either start uh, their evening chorus, then stop, or start their morning chorus. Uh, uh, it's a very strange and eerie time. Well, the same thing happens on Mars. Phobos uh, of the Mars, Mars is two moons. And uh, Phobos is about uh, 24 kilometres in diameter, and they uh, are in an approximately equatorial orbit, and they uh, uh, eclipse the, uh, uh, the the Martian, the sun is seen from Mars quite often. In fact, there's a, a whole range of videos and images from the various rovers and landers that are on Mars of eclipses of the sun by the uh, by the moons. Of course, they can't be total eclipses. I can't completely block it out, but it's still the uh, light dims significantly. Uh, technically, this is called transits, but nonetheless, uh, they're, they're quite intriguing. And uh, the bad astronomer, Phil Plate, uh, brought to my attention a very uh, curious fact. 
but you can detect these uh, harsh eclipses by Mars quakes. Now, why is that, you, you ask? And so did I, because it sounded quite strange. Because uh, the tiny moons don't actually block much of the sunlight, but enough of that, they can block out enough of that, uh, that uh, sunlight that it causes a, uh, an actual dip in the surface temperature of Mars. That's all very well and good, but what's this got to do with Mars quakes? Well, it turns out that the seismometers on the Mars InSight lander are very, very sensitive, and they're able to detect incredibly uh, small tilts in the land. And so uh, uh, when the uh, Phobos passes over the sun, and it, it uh, blocks about 40% of the sun, it's enough to change a slight uh, amount of temperature. The ground reacts quickly cooling because unlike Earth, we don't have this insulating, uh, very big insulating layer of atmosphere. And so it, uh, the, the uh, area under the, the shadow uh, cools a little bit, contracts, but outside of the shadow, it doesn't. So the ground tilts a tiny bit. And, you know, it's insanely small. It's, uh, the, the amount of tilt is about one hundred millionth of a, uh, uh, of a, uh, a millimetre. Um, and so even though it's a, this incredibly tiny tilt, uh, the, uh, the, the seismometer on the InSight lander can detect this tilt. And every time the, the, um, the moon goes over, when the sun is directly overhead, it cools the, um, the ground enough to cause this tiny little tilt uh, in, the, in the Martian surface, which can be detected on the, uh, on the InSight lander. And so if your mind wasn't blown uh, enough by a red uh, roadster coming close to Mars on the day that the Earth was at its closest to Mars, then tiny, tiny tilts from uh, Martian eclipses should be enough to do that as well. Fantastic. Okay. Um, I, I was also, uh, well, not exactly a tangent, I should also recommend that if you're still observing Mars with your telescopes, uh, have, a, have a try at sketching Mars. I've, I've uh, previously emphasised uh, how you can take images with your mobile phone, you don't need sophisticated cameras and things, but why not try sketching Mars? What I do is I take a, I've got a, a sketch pad. Uh, I, I, before I start sketching, I do a, uh, a, a, um, a template where I create a circle with using um, a large, uh, the large uh, cover for my binoculars. And then do I do a much smaller circle uh, uh, using either a coin or one of the uh, telescope eyepiece covers to uh, for Mars. So you've got that all pre-drawn. Then at the at the eyepiece, uh, and you and you just definitely need a red uh, torch for this. I have a, a red headlamp. You've got your pencil your pencil pre-sharpened. You've got your templates pre-drawn. Then at the eyepiece, you uh, look through the eyepiece at Mars. Then quickly sketch down some some features. Look back again, sketch down some more, and then you'd be quite surprised at how accurately you can draw Mars uh, using uh, using only uh, pencil and pen and paper 
and there's been some nice, uh, again on the internet, there's been some nice sketches where you can see quite clearly how the sketches line up to actual photographs taken at the same time. So again, uh, I strongly uh, recommend anyone who's, who's observing Mars so not only do some astrophotography, but even, even if you don't have any astrophotography gear, just get your sketch pad out, sketch Mars. Uh, you may have never lifted a pencil to paper before, but you'll find with a little bit of practice, it really is, it works. And then you can uh, take this to go and sketch Jupiter and the moon itself. Uh, and I think you'll find it very rewarding. Uh, it adds into the experience of using machines and instruments to photograph these objects. Fantastic. Galileo really started something, didn't he? He did indeed. In fact, um, they've gone back and uh, tried to uh, tried to work out the positions of the Galilean moons on the nights that Galileo observed them. And his positions of the moons uh, pretty closely match uh, the positions of the moons that they predict uh, using modern uh, predict software set for those times. And uh, so he, he, he did a fairly good job. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Ian Astroblog Musgrave. No worries. Thank you very much, Brendan, for giving me this opportunity. And again, I'd like to say to everybody out there, look up. I know you will say that as well. So let's say it in unison. Everyone, one, two, three, look up. Thanks, Ian. Good night, mate. Good night to you too, mate. All the best. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And remember, Astrophys is free and unsponsored, and we're very happy to recommend that you can always get the latest and best space news from Rami Mandal at spaceaustralia.com. And another great Astro podcast is The Scientists with Kirsten Banks and Dr. Ankel Lopez Sanchez. And for observers and astrophotographers, always check out Dr. Ian Musgrave's Astro Blogger website. Till then, isolate, take care, look after yourself and your loved ones. And please, do wear a mask when you can't socially distance yourself. Radio Wave!